I'm going to wait for a few minutes because I'm sure some of you at home would want to read along with us, so go get your Bibles. This is one of the most thrilling, inspiring, warming pieces of Scripture that is available. It'll do your heart good to go find that book and open it up and read along with us. 1 Kings, the 18th chapter, beginning to read at the 20th verse. So Ahab sent to all the people of Israel and gathered the prophets together at Mount Carmel. And Elijah came near to all the people and said, How long will you go limping with two different opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal, then follow him. And the people did not answer him a word. And Elijah said to the people, I, even I only, am left a prophet of the Lord, but Baal's prophets are four hundred and fifty men. Let two bulls be given to us, and let them choose one bull for themselves, and cut it in pieces, and lay it on the wood, but put no fire to it. And I will prepare the other bull and lay it on the wood and put no fire to it. And you call on the name of your God and I will call on the name of the Lord and the God who answers by fire. He is God. And all the people answered, it is well spoken. Then Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, Choose for yourselves one bull and prepare it first, for you are many, and call on the name of your God, but put no fire to it. And they took the bull which was given them, and they prepared it, and called on the name of Baal from morning until noon, saying, O Baal, answer us. But there was no voice, and no one answered. And they limped about the altar which they had made, and at noon Elijah mocked them, saying, Cry aloud, for he is a god. Either he is musing, or he has gone aside, or he's on a journey, or perhaps he's asleep and must be awakened. And they cried aloud and cut themselves after their fashion with swords and lances until the blood gushed out upon them. And as midday passed, they raved on until the time of the offering of the oblation. But there was no voice. No one answered. No one heeded. Then Elijah said to all the people, Come near to me. And all the people came near to him. And he repaired the altar of the Lord that had been thrown down. Elijah took twelve stones, according to the number of the tribes of the sons of Jacob, to whom the word of the Lord came, saying, Israel shall be your name. And with the stones he built an altar in the name of the Lord. And he made a trench about the altar as great as would contain two measures of seed. And he put the wood in order. And he cut the bull in pieces and laid it on the wood. And he said, Fill four jars with water and pour it on the burnt offering and on the wood. 
And he said, do it a second time. And they did it a second time. And he said, do it a third time. And they did it a third time. And the water ran about the altar and filled the trench also with water. And at the time of the offering of the oblation, Elijah the prophet came near and said, O Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known this day that thou art God in Israel, and that I am thy servant, and that I have done all these things at thy word. Answer me, O Lord, answer me, that this people, that this people may know that thou, O Lord, art God, and that thou hast turned their hearts back. Then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt offering and the wood and the stones and the dust and licked up the water that was in the trench. And when all the people saw it, they fell on their faces and they said, The Lord, He is God. The Lord, He is God. And Elijah said to them, Seize the prophets of Baal. Let not one of them escape. And they seized them. And Elijah brought them down to the brook Kishon and killed them there. Amen and amen. Great piece of scripture. Great piece of scripture. Ahab, that was his name, he was the king of Israel. And he was perhaps the most wicked king that that nation had ever known. And some of the people said that his wickedness was dependent upon the fact that he was married to a woman demon incarnate, her name Jezebel. Jezebel must have been quite a woman. She, in her belief, was a follower of the god Baal. Now the god Baal was a name given to a deity of a local setting. He was known as a fertility god. He was known as the regulator of the weather. He promised all sorts of personal pleasures. And he was one of those gods who said that he could give you most anything that you wanted. And when Jezebel married Ahab, she brought with her 450 prophets of Baal. Now Ahab was a pretty good guy. And like uh, all of us, he had on occasion prayed and promised to our God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God who eventually was to send his own son, Jesus Christ, to this earth, the God who we worship, he promised to this God that he would worship him and him alone and no other gods will I have. But like many of us, he forgot that promise and that prayer. And with all these prophets of Baal, there were times when he too began to worship not only Jehovah, but Baal as well. His Jehovah worship became polluted with Baal worship. 
And when this happened to the king, it happened also to those people who looked to the king for leadership. And there happened to be then compromise in conviction. And instead of clear thinking, there was chaos. The people, including Ahab, did not seem to have the power, the presence, the plan, and the purpose that God wanted them to have. And instead of having the destiny for which they were created and called, they were a people who really were confused and were limping about because they had two opinions. And how did Jesus put it? No man can serve two masters or two ideas or two people. He'll either love the one and hate the other. But you cannot serve two. And the people were having a miserable time. Just about that time, there was a national calamity. Strange, is it not? Here we are on this weekend with at least a calamity in the northeastern part of the United States. But their problem was just the opposite of ours. <laughs> we have too much water and too much cold. They didn't have enough water and too much heat. That, during that time of that particular crisis, it was then that Elijah did something that he had threatened to do before but never had done before. Elijah confronted the prophets of Baal. Elijah got so fed up during that crisis that that was the straw that broke the camel's back. He had run from Ahab. He had done everything in his power to stay away from the prophets of Baal, but that was it, and he confronted the prophets. He had a plan. He said, let's have a trial by fire. We'll get all the people of Israel, and we'll go up to the top of Mount Carmel. It's a beautiful mountain. I've seen it. We'll get all the people up there, and we'll build two fires. You people, you prophets of Baal, you get the sticks and the stones, you cut a bull, you place it upon the altar, but don't you put any fire under it. And I, in the name of my God, I, I'll take the sticks and the stones and I'll build an altar and I'll slaughter a bull and cut it up and put it on the altar, but I'll put no fire under it. Then we'll call upon our respective gods. And whichever God answers by fire, he and he alone will be considered the Lord of Israel. Good idea, Elijah. So everybody traipses up to Mount Carmel. The prophets of Baal, because they were more in number, 450, Elijah being so sure of himself, said, you go first. So early in the morning, they, they gathered the stones, they, they got the sticks, they put the timbers on, they, they slaughtered the bull, and... At daybreak, they began to cry, Oh, Baal, hear us, hear us, all morning long. They yelled and they shouted and they jumped around. They leaped up onto the altar. At noon, there was no answer, no voice, no God, no fire. Elijah couldn't help but take advantage of the opportunity. He said, cry! Perhaps your God, if he is a God, perhaps 
Perhaps he's gone out for a walk. Perhaps he's busy. Maybe he's asleep and you have to wake him up. Cry louder. And they cried louder until they had no voices left. And then they began to think that maybe the sight of their own blood would provoke Baal to, to action. So they took lances and swords and knives and superficially cut their bodies. They did this until the hour of the oblation sacrifice, which was late in the afternoon. Still no voice, no answer, no God, no fire. All that could be seen were 450 individuals who were tired, worn out, lost their voices, and whose bodies were covered with blood. We give up. Then Elijah, he took his stones, one representing each of the tribes. Twelve stones he put around in a circle. He got the sticks, he got the timbers. He cut the bull. He then asked that a trench three foot deep be dug clear around the circumference. He said, get four barrels of water. They got it. Pour the water over the prepared fire. They did it. Said, do it a second time. They did it a second time. Do it a third time. They did it a third time. Then, then in a very contrasting way, not shouting, not yelling, but confidently and very quietly, he didn't shout, he prayed. He lowered his big head and he said, O Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac and Israel. Let it be known this day that thou art God in Israel and that I am thy servant and that I have done all of these things at thy word. Answer me, O Lord, answer me that this people may know that thou, O Lord, art God and that thou hast turned their hearts back. Amen. Slam, bang, Alexander. Fire came down from heaven. It ate up of wood. It burned all of the timbers. It consumed the bull and licked up the water that was even in the trough round about the fire. And the people fell down on their faces saying, The Lord, He is God. The Lord, He is God. Amen. Hallelujah. Oh, that's an exciting piece of scripture. I get excited every time I read it every time I preach on it. And in preparation, earlier in the week, when I really didn't know what all was going to be happening today and this weekend, I was thinking about this passage of Scripture and a new idea crossed my mind that God sent, I believe, a new idea when I got to thinking to myself, what would have happened to Israel? if God had not sent the fire on Mount Carmel. Their destiny would be different. Our destiny would be different. We wouldn't be here today if God had not sent down that fire on Mount Carmel. How different history would be. And then I tried to think one step deeper and I thought, you know, God could not have even sent down that fire if Elijah had not gathered 
the timbers and the branches, if he hadn't cut the bull, God would not have been able to send the fire. That reminded me of another verse of scripture that God's own son, Jesus, taught us. A principle that sometimes we forget and which we need recalled. Remember when he says, if you ask, you will receive. If you seek, you'll find. If you're not, it's opened unto you. Now what he's really saying there is, if we don't ask, we really can't receive. God really cannot give unless we seek. God doesn't open up until we knock at the door. God, though he might have wanted to, could not have sent fire unless Elijah had prepared the altar. And Elijah, you know, would have never have prepared the altar if he hadn't confronted the prophets of Baal. And Elijah would never have confronted the prophets of Baal if he hadn't gotten fed up clear above his head. Did you catch the dynamic? The fire came because the altar was built. The altar was built because the confrontation, the confrontation took place because Elijah was fed up. You know, we have the same ingredients today. God's still here. God's waiting. God's watching. God wants to go to work. God's there, ready for a call. And the prophets of Baal, they're here. Oh, we don't call them Baal anymore. We have other names for them. But they still belong to the same family. They march to the same drummer. We know them by the prophets of doom, the prophets of despair, the prophets who spread their message of negativism, the prophets who cause people to panic, the prophets who try to knock down everything that is good. The prophets who are trying to infiltrate the church with all types of teaching of humanistic philosophies. The prophets who try to tell us that the individual has any right whatsoever that he wants. You know that motto that goes around, do your own thing? If it is being taught with the idea that you have no responsibility as a child of God or a fellow creature, and you can do anything you want, then that message comes from the prophets of Baal. Oh, we have the prophets of Baal, and they're very loud, and they're infiltrating every good, wonderful thing that we have in our land. And God's up there just waiting. The only one missing is Elijah. That's right. 
The only one missing is Elijah. Anthropomorphically speaking, I think I can see God up there saying, with his hands outstretched towards us, how long? How long is it going to take? How long are you people who are called by my name going to take to get fed up, to confront the prophets of Baal, to build your altars on the mountains of my experience and call upon me to send forth my power of light and of truth and of beauty. How long? Oh, people, how long? The message that I want to say to you today and inform God, if that's all possible, and I don't think I have to, I think he already knows, the answer, and I say this as a modern-day prophet, I don't think it's going to be much longer. No, I don't think it's going to be much longer that we're going to have to make God wait. And you know why I say that? Because as one ordained to the ministry, and believe me, I think I have been given a gift. I see out there on the not-too-far-distant horizon signs that the people of God are getting fed up. And you know where else I have my source of information from you people? Many of you who made the effort today. And though I wasn't planning to say it, I think the very fact you are here is to some effect. The idea you're a little fed up. Some of you who haven't really been too excited about too much which goes on in the church and in the nation. Suddenly I see little signs, little seeds beginning to sprout of concern. Some of us are getting very tired of the despair, of the fear, of the panic, of leadership by crisis rather than by courage. We're getting a little bit fed up of being treated like second-class citizens defending something which needs no defense. I see some of us getting on the offense and trying to practice a little bit of faith rather than fear, of trying to instill once again that God-given ability of courage and gumption. I'm not sure what that word means. My mother taught it to me a long time ago, but it's good. A little bit of that intestinal fortitude that can say to the weather, that can say to the bales, the Lord, He is God, and we are one of them. We're on the Lord's side, ladies and gentlemen. Do you realize that? God, in His grace, has called us, and we are on the Lord's side. Not only in song, which you sang so triumphantly, but in fact, in faith. We're getting tired of mediocrity. 
We're getting tired of people using excuses for efficiency. We're getting tired. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Because I think when we get tired enough, we're going to confront those prophets of Baal. And when we confront them, then we will be building the altars and will be forced to call upon the name of our Lord. And when we do, look out. Look out. For when, in sincerity, we call upon the name of our Lord to help us and answer us. God, just as he did on Mount Carmel, will at Mount Bakerstown or any other hillside, will answer. Lord, it's not going to be too long. It's not going to take too much longer. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Father, thank you for life and another day to live it and the opportunity to tighten the harness, to stand straighter in the saddle, and to walk toward the sun. Father, we are on the Lord's side. Help us never to forget it. For the Lord, he alone, is God. And now may the grace, mercy, and peace of God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit be and abide with you, fill you, and may he also give you the ability to be fed up in his name. Amen.